So my name is Jonathan Coburn. I'm one of the youth leaders here at Grace Fellowship on Wednesday nights. And it is an honor to be standing here in front of you bringing the word of God. Um, I want to begin with something that happened in my and my wife's life back in October. Um, there was a series of events that really changed you know, our lives. And one of the events that happened, and they happened in rather quick succession, was my daughter um, Diana and I were involved in a motor vehicle accident. Both of us were okay, but our truck was totaled. Um, the other driver's vehicle was totaled. Uh, he got out of the car on his own power, but he later received medical treatment, um, which we found out that his medical bills were exceeded the amount of my insurance coverage, which was another issue. But as I looked around and saw the lights from the ambulance and the fire trucks, the police cars, the traffic, the look on people's faces as they sat in their cars, I was given a citation. All of that was my fault. And as much as I tried to rationalize and try to say, well, you know, he had to have been speeding. It must, you know, this whole thing can't be all my fault. And that kind of goes all the way back to the Garden of Eden when God said, Adam, did you eat this fruit? Well, the woman that you gave me. Then the woman said the serpent tricked him. You know, it's the same type of thing when we confront somebody that you're a sinner and you need Jesus. Well, I'm a good person. Why do I need Jesus? It's part of our human nature. But after weeks of wrestling with the events that had happened, I finally gave it over to God. And Christy, my wife, she was much stronger than me. You know, she was, she was much more optimistic than I was, that's for sure. But I realized that our circumstances change, our situations change, our feelings change, but God never changes. And Jesus is always still Lord. So the investigating officer informed me to ask my insurance company for a letter. I was like, a letter? He said, yeah, a letter. Just ask your insurance company, they'll know what you're talking about. Now, I never was involved in an accident in North Carolina before, so I had no idea what he was talking about, so I asked my insurance company, and about a week before my scheduled court date, I had gotten an email from the insurance company, it was that letter. It was a very, just one page letter on my insurance company's letterhead. And it had like maybe one or two sentences, but then at the bottom it said all claims are settled. There was a personal injury claim, there was a property damage claim, but all claims had been settled. So I went to the court and 
still trying to go over in my head what I'm going to say to the judge. I know at this point it is my fault. There's no way of fighting it. Um, by the way, up until this point, I had an impeccable driving record, <laughs> which is now marred. But anyway, so I, the judge didn't even ask me what happened out there. He didn't ask for my side of the story. All he asked for was that letter. So I, <clears throat> I handed the letter to the, uh, the clerk, and she read the letter to the judge. She said that all claims had been settled. He looked at me and he said, case dismissed. You're free to go. I got about five steps out of that courtroom before it hit me. Isn't this the way that the grace and blood of Christ works? If you would, please turn to Ephesians chapter 1. We're going to look at verses 7 and 8. In him we have redemption, that is our deliverance and salvation through his blood, which paid the penalty for our sin and resulted in the forgiveness and complete pardon of our sin in accordance with the riches of his grace which he lavished on us in all wisdom and understanding with practical insight. By the way, I'm reading from the Amplified Bible, which is a Bible that's translated from the same text as your ESV or your NIV, but it just it amplifies the, the meaning behind the original language. And that's why you see some stuff in brackets. But in him... We have redemption through his blood and his grace. That insurance letter symbolizes the blood of Christ. The blood of Christ says all claims have been settled. You can try to rationalize, try to come up with some reasoning to convince yourself that I'm a good person. Like I said, the judge didn't care to hear my side of the story. He was only looking for that letter. Unless you have that letter, the redeeming blood of Jesus, you are still guilty as charged. Redemption is such a wonderful word. Redemption comes from you know, being purchased, being bought. When I think of the word redemption, I think of slaves standing on a platform all chained together in front of a crowd like an auction and you're the one that's being, you're the item that's being sold. And then a man purchases you, signs the contract in his blood, he brings you to his house, you now have a new master master that takes your rags, which is the only possession you had, and he clothes you in his royal robes. His house is now your house. He no longer calls you slave. He calls you brother, sister, son, 
daughter, child, friend. He bought you. Now, did he do this because you deserved it? No. Turn to uh, John chapter 1. John chapter 1, verse 16 says, For out of his fullness, the superabundance of his grace and truth, we have all received grace upon grace, spiritual blessing upon spiritual blessing, favor upon favor, and gift heaped upon gift. I didn't deserve for the judge to say you're free to go. But like it says in Ephesians 2.4, God, because of his great love, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That is his grace which he lavished on us. Now if you will turn to Galatians chapter 3. Looking at verse 10. For all who depend on the law, seeking justification and salvation by obedience to the law and the observance of rituals, are under a curse. For it is written, Cursed, condemned to destruction, is everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law, so as to practice them. Being a good person, abiding by the law, which is impossible for us to do. But the law doesn't save us. It can't save us. It's only through faith. Faith in who? Faith in Christ. That's why it says in verse 11, the righteous shall live by faith. And why do we have that faith? Look at verse 13. Christ purchased our freedom and redeemed, there's that word redeemed again, us from the curse of the law and its condemnation by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who hangs or is crucified on a tree. He took our curse. The curse that we incurred upon ourselves from, the, from sin, He took it all on Himself when He hung on the cross. He took that curse to the grave with him. When he rose on the third day, did he still have that curse? No, absolutely not. So, what must we, what must we do to be saved? You know, we try to complicate the gospel message, but it's rather quite simple. The Bible says to call on the name of the Lord and you will be saved. It's not just calling out his name, but it is a heartfelt cry, knowing that there's no way other than through the, the perfection and the blood of Jesus Christ. And to repent, turn from your old way of thinking, and turn to Christ. 
We talked about it in Strive. Repentance is twofold. Turning away from your old way and turning to Christ. We live in a broken world and we're all broken people because of our wrongdoings, our sin. And broken people can't save other broken people. We need a Savior. Jesus Christ was the only one to walk this earth. Blameless, sinless. And it is His blood shed on the cross that paid the penalty. And His resurrection that broke the curse of death. It is His blood that says all claims are settled. It is through His blood that we can be justified. Justified means being judicially vindicated. An easy way to remember justified is just if I'd never sinned. The Lamb's blood on the doorposts in Egypt at the Passover. The Israelites were instructed to put Lamb's blood on their doorposts and then the angel of death would pass over them. Well, the Lamb's blood was a shadow of what was to come in Jesus Christ, putting the blood, his blood, on the doorposts of our hearts. And then, because of that, we have what Paul wrote in Romans 8.1, that there's no condemnation, no guilty verdict, no punishment for those who are in Christ Jesus. Case dismissed, free to go. Now, what if when I left that courtroom, I got in my car, started it up, redlined the tack, laid a patch of rubber out of the parking lot, blew through stop signs and red lights, did double the speed limit? Because after all, I'm not under the law anymore, I'm under grace, right? Well, Paul says in Romans 6, should we continue in sin that we should receive more grace? King James Version says, God forbid. Certainly not. Or in our American terms, that ain't the way it works. Romans 6.15, should we sin because we are not under the law but under grace? Same thing, absolutely not. The pastor of the church when I was younger, Dr. Bruce Fletcher made this quote, grace is more than just unmerited favor. Grace is the divine influence of God upon your heart producing change. The only change we have in our lives is through the grace of God. Turn to Titus Titus chapter, actually I didn't give you this one, Nick, but I'm going to start in Titus chapter 3. We don't have that slide. But Titus chapter 3, it just drives the point home. Titus 3, 4, But when the goodness and kindness of God our Savior and His love for mankind appeared in human form, as the man, Jesus Christ. He saved us, 
not because of any works of righteousness that we have done, but because of his own compassion and mercy by the cleansing of the new birth, spiritual transformation and regeneration and renewing by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out richly upon us through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that we would be justified, made free from the guilt of sin by his compassionate, undeserved grace, and that we would be acknowledged as acceptable to him and made heirs of eternal life according to our hope, his guarantee. Now, Titus chapter 2, verses 11 and 12. For the remarkable, undeserved grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. It teaches us to reject ungodliness and worldly immoral desires and to live sensible, upright, and godly lives. Lives with a purpose that reflects spiritual maturity in this present age. So the grace that saves us, that brings salvation in verse 11, is also the grace that changes us. And that's what a true comprehension of the grace of God will bring about in our lives. Charles Spurgeon wrote in his book, All of Grace, I have seen with my own eyes such marvelous changes of moral and spiritual character that I do not lose hope for anyone. Thieves are made honest, drunkards sober, liars truthful, and scoffers zealous. Wherever the grace of God has appeared to a man, it has trained him to deny ungodliness and worldly lusts and to live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present evil world. Dear reader, it will do the same for you. In the book, What the Bible is All About, by Dr. Henrietta Mears, she wrote, Liberty is not freedom from law. That is recklessness. Liberty is freedom from the Mosaic law system, but obedience to the law of Christ. And the Bible is very harsh when it talks about abusing God's grace. Hebrews 10 was probably one of the most difficult passages for me to read as someone who grew up in church and then ran away from it for a while and now came back. I'm like, is this talking about me? Romans 10.26 For if we go on willfully and deliberately sinning after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains sacrifice to atone for our sins. That is no further offering to anticipate. Those are harsh words. And then jumping down to verse 29. How much greater punishment do you think he will deserve who has rejected and trampled underfoot the Son of God and has considered unclean and common the blood of the covenant that sanctified him and has insulted the Spirit of grace who imparts the unmerited favor and blessing of God? For we know him who said, Vengeance is mine, retribution and deliverance of justice rest with me. 
I will repay the wrongdoer. And again, the Lord will judge his people. It is a fearful and terrifying thing to fall into the hands of the living God, incurring his judgment and wrath. Christ did not set us free from the curse of the law so we can be entangled again with a yoke of bondage. He set us free. I want to close by reading a passage from a book that I haven't read since I was probably a junior in high school. The book is called Pilgrim's Progress. For those of you not familiar with Pilgrim's Progress, it was a book written by John Bunyan sometime in 1700s. And he was imprisoned for 20 years for preaching the gospel. But in this book, it talks about the life and journey of a man named Christian in his journey to the celestial city or heaven. If you have not read this book or haven't read it in a while, I strongly encourage you to read it. So in this exchange, this conversation, he's talking to a man named the interpreter. And the interpreter represents the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is showing Christian, teaching him a few things. And one of the things he teaches him is what I'm about to read. Now, said Christian, let me go hence. Nay, stay, said the interpreter, till I have showed thee a little more. And after that thou shalt go on thy way. So he took him by the hand again and led him into a very dark room, where there sat a man in an iron cage. Now the man to look on seemed very sad. He sat with his eyes looking down to the ground, his hands folded together, and he sighed as if he would break his heart. Then said Christian, what means this? At which the interpreter bid him to talk with the man. Then said Christian to the man, what art thou? The man answered, I am what I was not once. What wast thou once? The man said, I was once a fair and flourishing professor, both in my own eyes and also in the eyes of others. I once was, as I thought, fair for the celestial city and had then even joy at the thoughts that I should get thither. Well, but what art thou now? I am now a man of despair, and am shut up in it, as in this iron cage. I cannot get out. Oh, now I cannot. But how camest thou in this condition? I left off to watch and be sober. I laid the reins upon the neck of my lusts, I sinned against the light of the word and the goodness of God. I have grieved the spirit, and he is gone. I tempted the devil, and he has come to me. I have provoked God to anger, and he has left me. I have so hardened my heart that I cannot repent. Then said Christian to the interpreter, But is there no hope for such a man as this? Ask him, said the interpreter. Nay, said Christian. Pray, sir, do you. Then said the interpreter, Is there no hope, but you must be kept in the iron cage of despair? No, none at all. Why, the son of the blessed is very pitiful. 
I have crucified him to myself afresh, and I have despised his person. I have despised his righteousness. I have counted his blood as an unholy thing. I have done despite to the spirit of grace. Therefore, I have shut myself out of all the promises, and there now remains to me nothing but threatenings, dreadful threatenings, fearful threatenings of certain judgment and fiery indignation which shall devour me as an adversary. For what did you bring yourself into this condition? For the lusts, pleasures, and profits of this world, in the enjoyment of which I did then promise myself much delight, but now every one of those things also bite me and gnaw me like a burning worm. But canst thou now not repent and return? God hath denied me repentance, and his word gives me no encouragement to believe. Yea, himself hath shut me up in this iron cage, nor can all the men in the world let me out. O eternity, eternity, how shall I grapple with the misery that I must meet with in eternity? Then said the interpreter to Christian, let this man's misery be remembered by thee and be an everlasting caution to thee. Well, said Christian, this is fearful. God help me to watch and be sober and to pray that I may shun the cause of this man's misery. There's a note in this book that says the message for believers here is this. Don't be casual about sin. Loving God means not wanting to sin. Endure in your faith Keep a repentant heart and be responsive to his love as you participate with the Spirit in sanctification, aiming to return his love through obedience. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, as a church, that believes that the Bible is the authority. We don't have the liberty to pick out parts of the Bible that we like and leave out the parts that are harsh. For your word is the authority and it is profitable. Your love and your grace, your blood, it's all to change us to not be conformed to this world, but to be transformed, to be children of your kingdom. Lord, help us to keep our hearts from being hardened. Let us look to you and keep our eyes on heavenly things and not on the things of this world. And Lord, that this church body would be blessed as we endeavor, as we strive to the prize, the upward calling. In Jesus' name, amen.